the reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele, and I have a question. Who Hello. would not like to see Will Smith get into a movie this year and do such a good job that he has no choice but to win the Academy Award? And when they do that thing they do when someone's not there, it's the and the winner of the, the of the best male actor is Will Smith. Will Smith cannot be here due to a suspension. So uh, accepting the award on his behalf is Chris Rock. <laughs> I, I think that'd be funny. Of course, probably just that would me. be funny, except Jada would accept the award. But Chris should present it. That would be fun. Although Chris wouldn't present the award. It would be whoever won Best Actress. Now I forgot who won Best Actress already, but anyway. But that would be pretty cool. That would be great if if, if Will wins the next 10 straight Best Actor Awards. That'd be spectacular. (laughs) And they have to rename it the Big Willie Award. Anyway, um, I do have another question that's actually more recent news related. I saw a headline this week, didn't read the article because I can't be bothered. Uh, It said, Pamela Anderson, supported by Sons as she makes her Broadway debut Mm. in Chicago. Mm. Now, see, my my question is not Pamela Anderson is doing a Broadway show. My question is, when did Broadway go to Chicago? There might be a Broadway in Chicago, but I don't think that's the Broadway they're talking about. That Broadway is in New York. Yeah, that's the part that threw me off. I said, hang on a minute, making her Broadway debut in Chicago. Chicago? No, I love Chicago, but no. I wonder if they, I I assume they mean theater. Big theater, stage, play. I get that part. Which is different from Broadway, which is very different from Broadway, because Broadway has a very specific meaning. And it's not, oh, look, I'm in a play. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's not really good journalism. By the way, you're going to hear us coughing through all of this. He's got a cold and I've got allergies, so it's that time of year. Yeah, anyway, that's awesome. Speaking I, of something. Are yes. her sons literally on the stage, like holding her up? Has she become frail or something? Is that what they mean? I just they, work here. Like I said, I couldn't be bothered it? to read the article. It's about Pamela Anderson, and I don't care. Are they only are they the only two people attending? That could be also the way they're supporting her. Anyway, yes. On that to could actual be it. news. Um on yeah, this is this is more interesting for people who normally listen to our show. Um and I don't know if you saw this. Do you remember the Star Trek animated series? I do. Well, somebody, and I've forgotten who, <clears throat> I apologize. Well, I didn't make a note of that, don't know why, made a Star Trek the Next Generation. Uh, animated series kind of thing by using footage we've already seen from the uh, the Borg cliffhanger where they kidnapped Picard. They redid the kidnapping of Picard scene in the same style as the original animated series. <laughs> nice. It worked. Holy cow! It worked. It is a you can find it on YouTube. Um. And I recommend watching it. It's it's about two minutes long. That's all they did of it. But it looks like the original animated series in the in, in that they used the minimalist animation stuff. Right. 
where I need to run off screen. Here's my shoulder as it gets closer to the camera. Um, that kind of thing. <clears throat> which uh, that actually which, be really cool if they they did uh, some of the next generation because the the animated show. Some of the show's scripts for the animated show were better than some of the scripts from the original live action series. They had really good scripts. They and really of course did. it helped that they had the actual actors doing the voice acting. It's like that was kind of cool too. So Except Sulu. Oh, I'm sorry, not Sulu, uh oh, Chekhov. Ah. Which yeah, is I sad. That now. Sad. Um, let's see, what else have we got here? We got uh Warner Brothers. <clears throat> Is going to this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Warner Brothers is going to overhaul the way they do their DC movies, and then sell off DC. Mm-hmm. At least that's my understanding. That's um, they're planning on, and this is the weirdest quote: turning DC into quote its own solidified content vertical. Now, I think one of those words is not exactly in the right place because vertical. It, it, <laughs> That word just doesn't seem like it's in the right place, but it's supposed to also have a more, and this is another quote, coherent, creative, and brand strategy. Now, who, and I saw an article and didn't bother to read it because I wasn't that interested, even though we do a show about movies, that that they've hired their own version of Kevin Feige, which is like, okay, good luck with that, but I didn't see (laughs) who they had hired. Was it Kevin Feige? No. yeah, it wasn't Peggy. I mean, it's smart to finally actually have one person with, and a whole, but it has to be the right person, obviously. But it's clear that they haven't had one person guiding everything. And it's not that it has to be all interrelated stories, but it's just that this is our style. This is what we do. And please don't make it all dark, for crap's sake. Yeah. But you know, to have a vision, which Marvel clearly has, they don't make the same kind of movies other than their comic book movies. But, you know, we've had comedies, we've had buddy road movies, we've had espionage thrillers. There's all kinds of movies that they've done that fit into the overall picture of Marvel films. And DC hadn't done that. No. Nope. I mean, they've done some good films, but they've done some abysmal films. And I think that's part of the problem is they don't have. Yeah, there is someone who runs it, but they clearly don't know what the hell they're doing. So it's about time that they bring somebody in, but I haven't heard who that person is. Hopefully, they know what the hell they're doing because, I mean, we talk about how awful some of the DC films are because some of them are. And it would be really cool if they made really great movies because I like the DC characters. But, man, I mean, The Batman, awesome film. But you can't make up for, uh, like, Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, my God. What a piece of garbage. You know, it's just – they've made so many Dark Knight Returns. I'm sorry. A lot of people like that. But they said that that needs to be a Batman standalone movie. No other superheroes should show up. I'm sorry. The reason for that is because if Flash, Superman, Martian Manhunter, anybody else shows up, the movie's over in about half an hour. <laughs> you know, I I can see why you have to – and you do have to do standalone films because they have their own – and it makes sense that the other characters aren't going to show up because, <clears throat> after all, they do have their own problems. 
That's why they're. That's See, why that, they, that'd they've be had fine, standalone the, comics. Dark Knight Returns so is supposed to take place over what six months, and no, at some point Superman's going to go. Well, I'm done beating up these guys. Dark oh, look, Rises. Gotham has been under siege and there's a wandering bomb. I've got X-ray vision. I'll go find it and get rid of it for them. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, whatever it was. Right. Um, but. Yeah, uh, that doesn't bother me nearly as much as the fact that they felt that, oh, those movies were financially successful. Let's make all the movies dark and gritty. This like that doesn't fit the characters. And for some reason, and I know this is probably the 87th time I've said this literally uh, on this show, but how do you have a company that doesn't understand how your characters work? So hopefully they're actually addressing that. Maybe the person has read a few comics in their life that's going to be running their show. That would be nice. And uh, they'll actually turn out every movie will be good. And every movie will fit that character as opposed to, oh, that made a lot of money. Let's do it that way over and over and over. Like, so, so tired of their poor choices. So hopefully they finally made a good one. Uh, 86th time, by the way. Mm -hmm. Ah, Well, I was off by one. Getting there. It'll do. It'll do. Um, I'll say it again next week. Just to make up for it. Kind of like Slugfest. Yeah, like a slugfest. Making up for it. Slugfest, which Roku Channel has a lot of cool original programming. This is more cool original programming. And it is based on a book called Slugfest. And speaking of DC versus Marvel, that's what this is about. This is about the history of DC versus Marvel. And 10 episodes, they're very short, like maybe 18, 19 minutes each. So, and they each hit on key points in the rivalry. Like the very first episode, to me, the first episode was the best episode, and it's about the launch of Timely Comics, which of course became Marvel, and it's about Captain America and just the creation of Captain America and the risk that they took, and that's the fact that – I mean literally I hadn't heard this part of the story, and I'm going to say one part because then hopefully you'll watch the series to get the rest of it, but that uh, <clears throat> Joe Simon – had uh, gotten death threats over Captain America punching Adolf Hitler. And a lot of people probably don't remember that this actually came out before the United States was involved in World War II. This is not a response to the United States being involved in World War II. This was a response to Hitler before the U.S. was involved. It actually came out in May of 1941. And then... After December, <clears throat> Captain America was already really, really popular. But then after the U.S. got involved in the war, then it just just skyrocketed. So, um, And Hitler was a fairly uh, constant theme of those early comics, which was pretty ballsy at the time. I mean, can you imagine just like now someone coming out with a brand new comic character and he targets – the leader of another country that you're not at war with, but eh, you're not particularly a big fan of them. That would be kind of a big step to do uh, on in society at large. But and it, it goes on to key points. It talks about the death of Superman. Talks about the clone saga. 
So it hits some various key points. I frankly, I would have liked it to have been longer and more in depth, but really entertaining. Uh, makes me want to buy the book, which is perhaps part of the, the point of the whole series. But again, so it's called Slogfest. It's on the Roku channel. If you don't have a Roku device, you can go to Roku online and you can watch it. So it's free and it's it's quite entertaining. It's well done. Lots of interviews, lots of interviews with the people who were involved in all of these things. Obviously not Jack Kirby or Stanley, sadly, because they're gone. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, lots of recreations of scenes with actors standing in and some pretty well-known actors standing in for these characters so it's it's a it's a fun view and and even if you know a lot about comics you still may pick up a, a few things that you didn't know before definitely worthwhile though. so you, you get you get a lot of trivia stuff right you do you do get a lot Which, of trivia. Uh, stuff. do you remember the app on your phone on your android usually on your android phones i guess it was on the iphone i don't know i don't have one uh <laughs> trivia crack oh yeah yeah, that was a fun app. Well, Netflix has turned it into an animated TV show. Because it's we need fun. that. Um, yeah, you answer the questions with your remote. It gives you a A, B, C, D, multiple choice thing. Um, there are a couple of issues with it, though. Because, yes, it puts the question up on the screen, and it puts the answers up on the screen, but the answers have backgrounds. The questions do not and sometimes they blend into the background of the screen so you can't read them <laughs> that seems problematic that would yeah yeah it does so someone has to go up and go, go up to the screen and go when in in 1927 rafael nadal hit a tennis racket with his i can't see what that word is um yeah, I don't know where I pulled Raphael Nadal from, and he wasn't around in 1927, but that's not the point. It could have been done better. The other thing that absolutely needs to be done with this is an option to turn off that damn music. Because they have music playing in the background. And, you know, it, it's fine at first, but after your third question, turn it off. Turn it off. Mute the TV. Turn it off. Do whatever you have to. Turn it off. It's one of those musics. Oh, my God. It, it, and, it's, and obviously Netflix is pushing their interactive capability more and more. There's more and more shows that are popping up, and this is kind of a natural progression. But first, sounds like no one at Netflix bothered to watch it before they put it out. It, that's um, what it sounds like. And allow you to choose a music track. I mean, obviously, or, you can turn the sound off and put on your own music. Uh, yeah, I totally get that. But it would make sense. It's like, choose choose the music that goes with it. Well, here's, here's a solution that covers both of those things. Turn off the music, read the question. That would make sense. Or even better, just just use an app on your phone. Oh, no, no, we can't have that. Netflix wouldn't <laughs> make money that way. Um, yeah, that... And the, I guess the other something that does irk me, it's although it's not problematic with it, is that it's very childish. But it does not say that this is specifically for children, even though uh, you have an easy level and a hard level. Easy level. Yeah. Anybody can do this. Fetuses can come out and go, 
It's C. <laughs> the answer is C. Everyone knows that. And that's fine. The hard level, not so much. The hard level, everyone in my house is going, uh, Google it quick. Google it. I don't know. But uh, so, I mean, it has the potential for being fun, but it needs some tweaks. And since it's a series that Netflix is doing itself, it can fix them. Hint, hint, hint. So, uh, you know, get on it, Netflix. That's all I'm saying. Sounds like it uh, didn't go through alpha testing, let alone beta testing. That's no. sad. <laughs> it, I don't think it did. Just a thought. Just a thought. Anyway, uh, on to the actual movies. Because, you know, we did do movies this week. Uh, we're going to start with you. Because you, you did something that I, I was actually interested in seeing and almost saw this week and then went, no, I'm, I, I bet Todd's going to watch this. And we don't want to oh, double up again because it's not Batman. So you did all the old <laughs> knives. I did. I did watch all the old knives, which is an interesting. Uh, first place, I love the title. It's a great title, uh, and it actually fits the movie, which is good. Um, <clears throat> two CIA agents who also happen to be lovers in the past. <clears throat> so they're brought together. They are investigating a case that happened 10 years ago uh, of a terrorist strike which went very badly. And now it has come to light that perhaps the reason it went badly is because there was a mole in the CIA who fed information to the terrorists, which obviously would not be a good thing, and obviously the CIA would want to uh, root that out. So stars Chris Pine and Fanny Newton. Uh, Chris Pine is the agent who's in charge of the investigation. He has been put into put on that task by his boss, and there's not enough of him in this film. It's sad. Makes me sad that there wasn't more of uh, Mr. Lawrence Fishburne, but because basically, you know, if you can get two hours of Lawrence Fishburne instead of one hour, it's a good thing. But anyway. <clears throat> so it's this cat and mouse thing, and it goes back and forth between <clears throat> the timeline jumps back and forth between the events of 10 years ago. Terrorists hijack an airplane, things go badly. <clears throat> and they're investigating it kind of in real time. They're trying to handle the situation as this goes along. And then it jumps back to the current timeline Hi. with the investigation. And it's the same people because Chris Pine was there and Fanny Newton was there. They were both agents involved in the whole thing as it was playing out. Fanny Newton has left. <clears throat> He's interviewing her, her and as I said, they've got some history. So that plays into that, and he's trying to figure out if she was the mole. Of course, he hopes she wasn't because mm, past lovers. Uh, I really like how this plays out going back and forth between the timelines uh, because you obviously you learn more about what happened as they continue the story, and you learn more about the investigation. So you, half of the film is like a suspenseful kind of action flick, and the other half is talking heads. It's Chris Pine interviewing Tandy Newton, and it works really, really well. They're both really good. It has a couple of interesting twists. 
Uh, one I saw coming, I figured out who the mole was, but I didn't know. I thought I knew why that person was the mole. Turns out it was wrong, and that's another one of the interesting twists, which I really liked about the film. Um, if I'd seen, if it, by the way, this is on Amazon Prime. Uh, if I'd gone to see this at the theater, I would have been happy, which for me is kind of the litmus test. Is like if I had paid money and dragged my carcass over and risked my life to watch a movie, would I have been happy with the film? It's like yes, I would have been happy. The film, the happy, the fact that you can stream it, and if you already have Amazon Prime, it's free. Uh, totally worth, totally worth the, the time. Could have been better, yeah, but most movies could have been better. Pine is excellent. Fanny Newton is excellent. Lawrence Fishburne, Jonathan Price. I mean, it, it really has a lot of interesting twists to it. Uh, I thought I'd had it figured out, and I didn't, which makes me happy. So. Totally worth it, and just – I mean it's very rare that a title just alone makes me happy, but it makes perfect sense with the storyline. So all the old knives, highly recommended. Good stuff. That actually sounds really good because I was, I was wanting to see it. I just hadn't gotten around to it. Um, and, and remember, you want to get around to things before you die. Which is yes, something that have, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but it kind of fits between these two movies, I think. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried died this week. Yeah, which is sad. Which I was not, I, I will admit, I was not a big fan, but the things I liked him in, I really liked him in. <coughs> so, but uh, apparently it was after I, a long I illness really, and stuff, so. Yeah, had muscular dystrophy and uh died of a complication from that which that was the first i'd heard that he had that he'd been ill for a long time because he was still touring yeah someone someone posted on social media it's like oh he was supposed to be here in like next month and it's like so uh, obviously the guy was still working really hard and, and i totally get where people didn't like his style of comedy because it was very different it was very out there personally i loved it the funniest thing i ever saw him do though was Literally decades ago, he was on Letterman when Letterman still had like that weird sandy, weird hair before it went gray and he got more grumpy. Uh, and he came on and, and Gilbert had a lot of hair too. <coughs> and look, Gilbert Gottfried did impressions of uh, you, you can you can find it out on YouTube. But he did an, he did impressions. Did the Honeymooners, the classic Honeymooners TV show with Jackie Gleason and Art Carney, and he's doing Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton, not Edward Norton, but having an argument, which of course they would. But, but he did it as, and he also had Alice, who was his wife, who was uh, Ralph Cramden's wife. Right. But he did it as James Mason, and I can't remember now who uh, the Art Carney character was, but but they were dead on impersonations. And Jack Nicholson was Alice, and it was <laughs> dead on perfect, and it's so bizarre. I mean, absolutely insane and so damn funny and totally unlike his – you know, the, the super raspy – You know, we all know of like Iago and you know different characters that he played in movies. Just crazy, crazy funny. It was just – Brilliant. It's like one of the funniest bits I've ever seen just to think of doing that concept with actors completely, completely 
completely different from what you would expect. Like the guy was the guy was just a comic genius. And of course, if you haven't seen uh, <clears throat> the Aristocrats, and not the Aristocats, but the Aristocrats, which is nothing but a bunch of comics telling the filthiest joke in in the world. And Gilbert Gottfried is one of the superstars in that. He is, and also has Bob Saget, another comic who has passed on sadly yeah. too soon, who also is in the Aristocrats and also does the joke and is hilarious. But uh, highly recommend the Aristocrats. Just don't watch it with anyone who is can be remotely offended by anything because it is probably <laughs> the filthiest joke ever. And it's just it's. It's so funny to watch all these comics take do their own spin on the joke, and that's what's fun about it. But yeah, it's Gilbert uh, Gottfried was a unique talent, and even the people who hated his stuff have to admit that there was nobody like Gilbert Gottfried, and they're all happy about that—not happy that he's dead, but happy that no one was like him. But it's a it's a sad thing to lose another another talent like that. You know, one of the weird things about him was that. There was a care and bear with me on this. Superman the animated series, yeah, was uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it didn't go over very well. But there was a there's a character in Superman that I never cared for, and Gilbert Gottfried was also an actor that I, I didn't hate him, but I wasn't a fan. But you put Mister Mixius Pitzlick with Gilbert Gottfried's voice, and oh my God, that works! It made me <laughs> like the character and like him. Um, yes, because it totally, so, like you said, it totally fits the character. Because that's who that that character is almost like it was written based on him. And of course, that character's Jesus, five thousand years, years old. Yeah. yeah, at least at least from the late fifties. It might have been older than that, but totally works. That's brilliant casting for sure. So yeah, <laughs> that that's a sad thing this week. Um, yeah. As I laugh, but I'm thinking about him playing that character. It's like, oh my yeah. god, that's just great. <laughs> Actually, you know, let's go on to another thing that it, it does involve death because it's in the title. Um, watch Death <clears throat> on the Nile because Yay. I like the Orient Express that they did a couple of years ago. Let's see if they can do it again. Um, I'll tell you this: the first thing that that I was worried about with this was Russell Brand. Because he's, right, I, I, I kind of put him in the same category as Gilbert Gottfried in that they can be very over the top. Right. Uh, Russell Brand is very surprising to me in this because he didn't. He played he played a human, acted human, and did a very good job with it. So that's not something we have to worry about, and that's probably the last time I'm going to mention him in this. Because, you know, he's not necessary. Uh, the story in this one actually answered it started off by answering a question that i was curious about uh the story starts in world war one and because of a bomb uh that went off too close to him poirot our main character got hit in the face and scarred and that's why he has that big ass goofy looking mustache now i'm told that, that this sense. is different from the books but you know what it's in a movie it fits there it works i'm fine with it um, then it jumps to 1937 in a bar in London where Poirot is watching this pretty great kind of jazzy blues act that used an electric guitar. And I thought, 1937, electric guitar, hang on a minute. 
I looked it up. They were invented in 1931, so it's fine. I thought, hang on, you know, did they have those back then? Anyway, I was amused to watch this particular scene because it's a kind of think, picture a rectangular bar where this woman is playing a guitar while walking down some stairs on what we'll call the south wall. And she plays it all the way to the center of the room and then turns toward the east wall where the stage is and walks to the stage. Now, they didn't have remotes in 1937. So, yes, she's dragging this big ass cord across a dance floor. And as I'm watching this, I'm just thinking that is a tripping hazard. Is that how the person dies? I haven't seen the Nile yet. We're in London. What? No, no one, no one dies there. But that is where I thought it would happen. But we do meet the person who does die. I'm not going to tell you who that is yet. I will tell you. You knew anyway. Uh, Poirot is there and he's watching this couple on the dance floor. Now, the guy in the couple is Army Hammer. The girl... I've forgotten her name. I'll tell you about that in a minute, too. She's in a red dress, and they're doing something that would make the dirty dancing people go, okay, that's too much. In 1937, really. <clears throat> but the girl in the red dress introduces her friend, Gal Gadot, to Army Hammer, who is introduced as her broke and jobless fiancé. And she says, hey, Gal, you run this big business. Would you give him a job? <clears throat> then we cut to six months later, relocate to the pyramids where Poirot meets his friend who might be called Book. Now, the accents are really thick in this one, so I may have that wrong, but it sounded like Book. Anyway, he invites Poirot <laughs> to a party for a recently married couple who turn out to be Army Hammer and Gal Gadot. Hmm. <clears throat> and we find out that the girl in the red dress has been stalking them. For six months, gee, wonder why. And rather than enjoy the pyramids where they're having their honeymoon, they hire a boat, which is called Karnak, which is swell because that's where they're going, the Temple of Karnak. Now, Book introduces, on, on, on the way there, Book introduces everyone in this wedding party because the whole wedding party is invited, including Poirot, who is a late addition, I guess, all 12 or more characters. In about 45 seconds. So they get uh, uh, the rest of this is going to have actor names because the character names, his accent, all 12, 45 seconds. Yeah, I didn't catch them. Sorry. So <laughs> basically it's, hey, look, it's Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders and oh, dear, Gal Gadot is dead. That is not surprising. From what I told you, you can already tell that's who was going to die anyway. So. So sad. Other stories that are going along with this, the jazz artists who we saw earlier, they're there, and one of them is engaged to Book. Now, Book's mom is there. She's played by Annette Benning, and she's got a couple things going on. One, her character does not like that Book is engaged to a jazz artist because her skin's a different color. It's 1930-something. They had that back then. They still have that now, and we need to get rid of it. But <clears throat> So in one scene that I really liked, Annette Benning, and this is really weird and bear with me, Annette Benning is dressed like Doctor Who incarnation number seven, which for some reason <laughs> is really hot. I don't know why that did that to me, but it did. So I'm just throwing that out there to see if anyone else has the same reaction. Now she does a spectacular job of acting until <clears throat> the reveal scene when 
oh my God, she goes more overboard than I was worried that Russell Brand was going to do. I mean, she went more over, just as overboard as the murder weapon did about 45 minutes ago in the movie. It's, mm. it's very cringeworthy. Um, but anyway, is, is the, is this better than the movie the, of the Orient Express that they did a couple years ago? Honestly, it's about the same level. The mustache, thank you, is less plasticky. It looks like, you know, hair. So bonus points. Uh, it has a magnificent line in it when someone, when Poirot says something to the girl in the red dress. Well, if you stop doing this thing, then maybe you can have the life God intended for you. And she said, and I love this, love is too important to trust to a God. Ooh, like that. Overall, this is a beautifully shot movie with a good story. And apart from when Annette did her overboard thing, <laughs> I do have a thing for her. But damn, that scene went... Ew. Um, apart from that, an army hammer. I don't know what he did to make people disenchanted with him, and I don't care. He was just kind of crap through the whole movie. But there's always some actor who does crap through a whole movie. Anyway, the rest of the movie, I liked it. Now, it is available in a number of places, taking a deep breath, here we go. It is now available on Premium Hulu or for $3.99 on YouTube, Google, and Amazon Prime, or for $19.99 on Apple TV and Vudu, or you can stop by your local Walmart and pick it up for $19.99 on DVD, $24.96 on Blu-ray, or $33.99 on 4K Blu-ray. That's a lot of crap you can get this from. It's a good movie. Is it worth paying $33.99 for? Mm. Watch it on premium Hulu. That costs less. There you go. <clears throat> and I might have a, a segue to your to your next movie, but I honestly have no idea what the hell Vendetta is. Well, it's actually on Hulu. Hey. There's a way you can watch it. And by the way, Army Hammer, besides being accused of uh, sexual assault, has also been accused of cannibalism. So that's one of the things that uh, people <laughs> don't like Army Hammer for. Yes. Seriously? Seriously. Like accused chicken. alleged i was not there but yes so that's why that's one of the reasons why death and denial was held up so okay. long because I, they were trying to think should we reshoot this so yeah i kind of get that but damn really i've never particularly cared for him in anything or so, yeah or not a big fan of them but on hulu you can also watch so after you watch Death on the Nile, you can watch another film that has to do with death, and it's called Benedetta. It is the latest film by Paul Verhoeven. So if you go all the way back to films like Robocop or Basic Instinct, yeah, that guy. Um, he does films that are pretty much out there. This film is pretty much out there. This is about a nun in France in the 17th century, and yes, this is based on true events who had uh, various visions – religious visions and rose to a prominent place in her particular nunnery and there's questions as to whether she's really having the visions or that she's really experiencing stigmata which if you don't know that's when your hands start bleeding because on the palms because that's where jesus was nailed to the cross which is Kind of appropriate for this weekend. Um, Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, so it's uh, – there are questions We did not talk raised. about that in pre-pro. Hi, Ted. 
Yeah, we did not. They were, damn it. Uh, so there's questions in the film as to whether she's really having these visions, whether the stigmata are true, or whether she's staging this to gain power. Uh, there's another problem that's going on, is that she's having an affair with another nun, which probably would not be looked upon with a lot of favor in the Catholic Church now. Sure as hell wouldn't be in the 17th century. So... No. A really interesting story about how you're following the path of this woman who clearly wants to be more prominent. She also clearly wants to be closer to God, closer to Jesus, and the way the visions are portrayed, really, really well done. Um, She's somewhat – at some point she's rather sexualizing Jesus, which is interesting. Um, And I, I'm sure there are various, various religious groups who are not happy with this film for that reason, although I haven't heard anywhere near the amount of uproar that, for instance, The Last Temptation of Christ had, uh, probably because it's a foreign film, so they're not, they're not aware of its existence, uh, and that probably helped. Uh, but yeah, they haven't protested the film before it comes out, so good for them. But – Really good acting, really interesting story. Yes, it does eventually answer the question as to whether the visions were true or not. Uh, Interesting to see how this character develops as the film goes along, to see how pious she is or is she really manipulative. Uh, Interesting take on the times because – it happens to be a plague going on at that same time, and you see the power struggle between the current um, Mother Superior and and her. And by the way, Charlotte Rampling, uh, also in the film. Awesome to see her again. The uh, young lady who plays Ms. Benedetta, Virginia Efira, really, really good. Really good acting. Uh, If you are not a fan of nudity in films, not a film you need to watch because there's lots of nudity in this film. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, But a really, really good film. I actually like this better than All the Old Knives, and I did like All the Old Knives. But again, if you happen to subscribe to Hulu, there's two movies you can watch just like that. So absolutely recommend Benedetta, but it's – not an easy film to watch because of the themes that it deals with. Uh, religion and same-sex lovemaking with lots of nude stuff. So got to be ready for the film. I mean it is a Paul Verhoeven film, so he doesn't exactly make uh, – like, Yeah, he doesn't exactly make Sonic the Hedgehog movies. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not his particular milieu. So there you go. I like both the movies that I saw. You like I the almost like the movie. Yes. <laughs> almost. No, almost I did like it. it. <laughs> I did how, like it. How rare that we saw stuff that we actually enjoyed instead of suffered through. Well, I did go through the Netflix trivia quest thing. Yeah, but that's not a movie. That's a that's more of a disaster. It is. <laughs> it it really it did not need to be as cartoony as it was either. <laughs> that's sad. But yeah. It, it's not it, it's not bad. And yeah, I think, hey, it's a good week. Our show is risen from the dead, just like just like our Lord Jesus. 
Um, maybe I should cut that. From, no, I'm going to leave that in the show. Yeah, leave it. Leave it. Leave it. You know, Ted told me to do that in pre-pro. See, see, <laughs> Twice. did that backwards this time. Anyway, that is all we've got for this week. Tune in next week when we'll have more stuff. I might even do something on the Constantine animated short that came out from DC this week. Watch it at your own risk. Mm. That that that's a hint. Um, so is this. COVID still exists. If you're going outside, wear a mask. Otherwise, stay home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power in the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but uh, eh, it's a living. And like that, he's gone. Dorn, that's the end.